to the Batmobile. Let's go. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Holy smokes, Batman. It's Gaggle of Geeks with uh, Blake Howard and Sophie Lai. Honking time. Honking. What does the honks mean, Blake? It means it's time for your weekly geekly on 2SER's Gaggle of Geeks podcast with me, Blake Howard, and you. I'm Sophie Lai. Hello, everybody. Hello, Soph. Hey, how you going, Blake? I'm good. It's a busy week. Big news week. Yeah, it's like, it's it just, so so everyone would know. Um, right now, as we're recording this, the new Jessica Jones season two has dropped on Netflix. We've got the amazing um, Alex Garland, which is kind of topical for some new, a news item that we're about to cover. But Alex Garland movie uh, Annihilation is also dropping on Netflix this, this weekend. So you got a big weekend of streaming mm-hmm. geeky stuff. So we haven't got anything to review for you, but it has just been a freaking tsunami of a whole stack of geek news and awesome news to cover in the week. All right, well, let's start with first things first, because last week when we were chatting, we were like preparing for what would be your Oscars rant, because we thought three billboards was just going to clear everything. Yeah. yeah. And, it didn't. And, and, no, two things didn't happen. One, I wasn't on television last week. And number two, um, three billboards didn't win all the Oscars. No. Uh, so, yeah, the Oscars ended up being kind of predictable, but... Great. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I mean, look, there were a couple of, let's, let's, let's put it right on frustrate. There's definitely rant worthy elements. Mm-hmm. Firstly, Darkest Hour. Who gives a shit? It's like, and I'm a Winston Churchill, like, kind of guy inspired by the real man. And so, uh, you know, and, and now starting to read more on him here does a pretty questionable and sketchy past, but. Don't all the politicians. Duh, they all, they all do. But Gary Oldman's performance in that film is not the best performance he's ever done by mm. far, by like uh, leaps and bounds. And it's the first time that I actually tweeted on the day, like I hate Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy because they regret not giving it to him then, so they're giving it to him now. Darkest Hour is just like a, a, a baffling um, choice. Mm. But, you know, a movie about being an outsider and being a weirdo that is kind of a love story between a woman and the creature of the Black Lagoon... One best picture. I know. <laughs> isn't that, it like that it's, made me so it, happy. Isn't it weird and wonderful that oh. it was even in contention? Like, you, you know, Guillermo did an incredible job. Um, like, if you, and it's so dumb to try and talk objectively, let's just talk subjectively. It, if you look at those candidates of what the best movie of the year was, it wasn't my favorite. So, speaking as a person, it wasn't my favorite. I don't think it's in the level of, say, like Get Out, or I don't think it's in the level of like Call Me by Your Name, which I was super impressed with. But it's a pretty great movie. It was a really tough category. There were a lot of great contenders there mm. that, that a lot of people could argue. And yeah, so if you walk away semi satisfied, I think you got to be pretty stoked with an Oscars. Yeah, I mean, for me, my top contenders would have been, personally, subjectively, would have been Get Out. And shape of water. water. Yeah. So I was glad it won, and I was just like, come on, you have a Mexican director winning with a genre film for yeah. Best Picture. That is, I 
rare. <laughs> yeah, it's rare. Like, but there's three Mexican directors out of five years have won. You know, mm. Kiran won, yep. um, Alexander Inaritu won, and then um, obviously Guillermo. And and so, so cool that those guys are such you know are, are dominating in these sort of big. Mm. Um, you know, prestige pictures, as you might say, if you're a big uh, sort of Hollywood aficionado. But at the end of the day, Francis McDormand won for a terrific performance in what's a, a deeply flawed film. Sam Rockwell won for a great performance in a deeply flawed film. Mm. Um, Alison Janney, from all accounts, I haven't seen Iton yet, but I hear she's terrific. So there's, you know, this is another one of the big categories. But there were a couple of great wins with Jordan Peele winning for Best Original Screenplay for Get Out, which is amazing. Oh. Just very, warms the heart. Very heartwarming. Roger Deakins, after 14 years being nominated, yep. lensing some of the greatest motion pictures that have ever been presented on a big screen, got an Oscar for Blade Runner 2049, which is just great. Um, yeah, there were a couple of those where I was just like, yeah. And then there are some that are just like, meh. But every Oscars is like that. Mm. Um, you know, you can't, you can't always be... Over the moon with every single selection no. and everything. It's 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 it, it's it's still overwhelmingly an old white votership. But I think what we're starting to see, even with a movie like Shape of Water being nominated, it's pretty incredible the way that the industry is changing. So I didn't have like a bad Oscars time at all, except to go, oh, wouldn't it have just been wonderful to see Get Out win? Like, can you even imagine what that would have been like? Oh, it would have been beautiful. I would have flipped my freaking lid. Like, and oh, you do, you get this moment just... when they're about to announce and you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, is it going to be get out? Is it going to be get out? And no, it's not. But that's okay because there's not a, there's not a nicer um, and more sort of cinephile, deep abiding lover of cinema than Guillermo del Toro and for him to win both Best Director and, and to be associated with Best Picture, this pure piece of passion project cinema then you got to be happy mm. and so i'm happy i have no rant you have no rant except i will rant at one thing do tell <laughs> alexander despart won for the score in the shape of water and if there's anything that i don't give a flying shit about in that movie it is the score who cares it's such a the nothing parisian score, score. <laughs> it's not it's just boring it's the it's a bo- it's a really boring score i thought it was like taken straight from emily <laughs> it's it's bad it's bad one of the most dynamic and sort of disruptive uh, composers that's going around in Hollywood at the moment is Johnny Greenwood, who is the guitarist from Radiohead. Mm. Some of his scores, and he's been scoring a lot of uh, Paul Thomas Anderson films, you know, his score for The Master is unfathomably great. His score for There Will Be Blood is frightening, and his score for The Phantom Thread is is one of the most divine movie scores that I've ever heard in my life. In fact, it's so crazy amazing that you actually don't believe that it could possibly be original because it has these, like, this whole incredible spectrum of familiarity as well as being totally original. And it is dynamite. So if you haven't had a chance and you're a Spotify person or whatever or YouTube, jump on, see if you can have a listen of it. It's absolutely and utterly incredible. That was one where it went past and I was like... That is such an utterly forgettable score, like in mm. the shape of water, out of all of the elements of the film, other than some of the dance sequences playing the old timey music, yep. which has got nothing to do with no. what you what a composer would be doing. It's in in the film using that kind of music. It is a score that is utterly forgettable. So, um, yeah, I just I don't know. That was the only one that I was like, that's dumb. Um, <laughs> that's just dumb. What and really safe? It's like just phone it in. Someone's like, oh, I can't remember what the score is. I'm going to phone it in. 
Yeah. Well, but the thing is, you know, with the Oscars, it was also you've got a lot of the Me Too and Time's Up movement coming there. Yeah, fantastic. And, of course, people are a bit pissy with Kobe and Gary Oldman yeah. winning. Yep. Kobe Bryant. I, you know what? Look, <laughs> this is what I, you know, firstly, let's talk about the shitty stuff. Mm-hmm. These guys are convicted for pretty nasty stuff to do with women and they're getting standing ovations. Gary Oldman, some really questionable shit he's said in the past, some weird stuff. Some stuff he's said that I think has been brutally taken out of context, but actually actions are the more gnarly things around the Gary Oldman piece, which are significant, which is he's a, he's a wife abuser. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and <laughs> so, so, so outside of all of the BS around, you know, taking dumb quotes from dumb interviews about Mel Gibson 10 years ago, yeah. um, I think this is some, that's some pretty weird stuff. And so, you know, I think Hollywood is just a reflection of contradictory actions in the public eye because people do this all the time. Yeah. Like they, they're so hard on one thing and then, you know, half the people in that room signed a petition for Roman Polanski to come back into the country and, and not be arrested, even though he drugged and sodomized a 13 year old girl. It's just beyond. And even, <laughs> And, like, while the girl herself has said, like, just let him back in the country, she's just said that because so she can, like, just, she's had enough of it because yeah. it's hounded her whole, whole life. Yeah. She will not say, she doesn't deny that he raped her. Yeah. She's like, no, he raped me, but I'm just over this shit. <laughs> I'm over this shit. I don't want it to be a news item. So, yeah, look, yeah. it's, Hollywood is, Hollywood aspires in the best and nice, with the best intentions to lead and to, and movies are empathy machines. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the great Roger Ebert used to say that. And so when you've got machines of empathy, they help open up perspectives and perhaps, you know, reach different people. So if you're, you know, if you're a deeply dark and troubled person, sometimes a movie can touch you and open up your perspectives if you're quite closed off or uneducated because they just have that power, like the image, the sound, the performance. It says, it registers an emotional truth that other mediums would struggle to reach because mm. it's a synthesis of visual image, sound image, movement, time. So you, you get this amazing art form, which is why film critics and geeks like myself and so if exist it's because you get to talk about it and, yeah. and and they register such power so at the same time they like to think that they can do all those things they make really dumb populist bullshit decisions and it's very contradictory but it's like you know they didn't ask uh casey affleck to present this year yeah because of it and yet they still will award gary oldman and kirby bryant it's just yeah beyond but i did one thing about the kirby bryant thing that i actually enjoyed is that now just so many great memes of like Jean Luc Godard, no Oscars, Kobe Bryant, one. <laughs> like, like the most incredible, like David Lynch, no Oscars, Kobe Bryant, one. Like some of the most influential and powerful and incredible filmmakers who've ever walked the face of the earth, zero Oscars, an NBA player, one. One. <laughs> <laughs> so Kobe wins again. It wins. But coming out of the that crappiness, Francis McDormand did um, call out for inclusion writers to Hollywood and it's already starting to pay off because Jordan B. Michael um, Michael B. Jordan oh my god I can't even say his you, name she can't say his name because you were thinking of his pecs let's be fair yeah like that poor girl who broke her <laughs> retainer because she thirsted so hard so if you haven't seen it on Twitter or any social media a poor girl 17 year old girl in the US she was watching Black Panther thirsted so hard when Michael B. Jordan came in on screen, pecs are glowing, 
that she like grinded her teeth so hard she broke her retainer. Can we just say, like, can that girl hurry up and be legal and find a nice lad <laughs> or lass or whatever she wants and just sort herself out? Because speaking from, you know, speaking from a young lad who obviously grew up with sexual tension, I don't believe I ever ground my teeth to the point I would have broken something. So... <laughs> She's awesome, number one. <laughs> and get her a Michael B. Jordan lookalike boyfriend. It's too sweet. Oh, but he offered to pay for her retainer to yeah, get he her did. fixed, which is lovely of him. But on bigger things, um, his uh, production company, Outliers, they are now including inclusion writers in all future projects. That's great. Coming out of that Francis McDormand speech. Yeah, look, Francis is great. I mean, that was a massive highlight. And the inclusion mm. writer was awesome because immediately it's like, what is it on Twitter? But People it was so searching. funny because everyone, it was actually silent because yeah. everyone's like, what the hell's an inclusion, inclusion writer? writer? And I'm pretty sure only like Octavia Spencer and Jessica Chastain knew what it was because yeah. they've been doing it for ages. Yeah. But like, yeah, so there's a, there's, yeah, like, People talk about riders, like they didn't know, you know, the silly examples if you're a Wayne's World fan is like, I want a bowl of M&Ms, but only brown ones, you know, like like that. <laughs> yeah. that's in your rider. You so think, it's a yeah. part of your contract is the only way that you do a project is if, or you do a project or an interview or a show or whatever, part of your rider, your contract says that you will have certain things prepared for you. And that's where you hear, everyone has heard of riders, crazy like Celine Dion riders oh, or Cher or whatever, usually associated with big divas. But um, I think this is awesome because, you know, I think, you know, people like Francis McDormand, people like Reese Witherspoon, people like Jess, Jessica Chastain, mm. like they're and they're leading the way with like these powerful women in super influential positions in Hollywood mm. who are li- not not only talking the talk but they're walking the walk. Like Reese Witherspoon has been in more movies in the last couple of years just to use her star power to get you know to to get female filmmakers up and running to get yeah. TV shows up and running to get scripts off the ground. You know, incredible stuff. So yeah, like there's a lot of cool stuff going on. And Francis is the inclusion writer. At least it's now creating an amazing topic of conversation. And the great thing is they're not forgetting their sisters of colour through this. Unlike poor Emma Stone got a bit of a backlash for her little snide comment when she was presenting um, for Best Original Screenplay. She was like, and these are the nominees, um, the four men and Greta Gerwig, which everyone's like, "Uh, there are two men of colour. They struggled just as hard. (laughs) Yeah, look, she was just doing the Natalie Portman, right? Yeah, but Natalie Portman got it right because they were all white old men who were nominated. Look, Emma Stone just failed slightly. Uh, She's all right. She is. But that's what I mean. It's like, Mm. like, anyway, there's probably, you know, and out of those four old white men, there's probably four white Jewish men whose parents maybe grew up in Eastern Europe during (laughs) a time, little time called World War II um, and the Third Reich. And so, you know, I also think it's just there's some real nuance that people just miss because they see a white person and they're like, oh, oh, you're a Jewish white person and your parents were both killed in the in in Nazi mm. concentration camps and you you fleed over here with the family that you had and you made a great life for yourself. Oh, cool! Like I'm just going to ignore your struggle or ignore any of the struggles you've had in your life. But now, as you're an older person, obviously, and that you're white, you must have had nothing possibly go wrong mm. in your entire life. So, yeah, of course that's going to happen <laughs> these yeah. sorts of wars. But it's also just like intersectionality. Don't forget about it, guys. No, no like, yeah. It's way more complex than Vox Pops and people just no. want to be cute all the time. No, but hey. Hey. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> let's, let's just go. Let's, let's get out of go. here. Shall we move to the big, big news? Of yeah, there's week. a couple of big, big news that has this theme song. <laughs> And if you've just backflipped out of your chair, we're sorry. <laughs> I started so abruptly. 
Wow. Yes, two massive pieces of Star Wars news. The first one is a quick one, so let's just get it out of the way because it's the quick one. It doesn't have as much juice, which is that the amazing John Favreau, who was part of the original team that cooked up um, uh, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, was... An incredible filmmaker in his own right has now done the incredibly successful Jungle Book, has moved on to Disney in the the Lion King adaptation, mm. has been given the reins of a another property on this growing Disney like <laughs> Netflix, you know Netflix beta in the Star Wars universe. John Favreau is writing and showrunning Star Wars TV. How many spin-offs are they going to have? Disney is going to make a Netflix. And they're going to take all of their content off and they're going to just load it with the entire back catalogue of everything Disney. Marvel is going to have TV shows. Star Wars is going to have TV shows. Disney XD, all that stuff, all that huge array of content that we be- you know, we don't get nearly as much of it in Australia. It's all going on its own platform. They're going to make Star Wars TV shows until they can't make any more Star Wars TV shows or movies. Because I swear, every week it's like, a new Star Wars TV show is announced. Like, we've got this one. We've got the Ryan Johnson one. And then it's just all the animated series as well. And it's like, oh, my God. Star Wars <laughs> is like a license to print money. <laughs> <laughs> they can make it. People are going to watch it. It's That's it. It's over. We've discussed this before, but I've got fatigue. <laughs> They don't care. <laughs> Netflix actually said it. And this is Netflix, and I think Disney can do the same thing. Mm-hmm. The only opposition they have is your sleep. If they can just stop you from sleeping, then you can watch more stuff on Netflix. Crud. Guys, it's the world we live in. <laughs> yeah. Someone's like, oh, is there another stuff? Like, there's some really cute people that I work with who aren't. And this is where I like. You get, sometimes get so tied up in your like your film Twitter and your geek Twitter yeah. and your your socials, and then you just talk to people who are normal, who are fairly detached from that, and they're like, "Oh, is there another Star Wars movie coming out?" And you're like, "Just assume that there's another Star Wars movie coming out for every year for the rest of your life, your kids' lives, and your grandkids' lives. Like that's what's happening now. There will be a Star Wars movie. So, and now these live action TV prospects. George Lucas was apparently doing. You know, was exploring a sort of farscapey kind of uh, 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 television potential in the Star Wars universe. What a great show! That great was. show, <laughs> number one. Great show. Let's not forget about Farscape. <laughs> never um, forget. Never Fars- forget Farscape. Um, but a great show, number one. But number two is they were exploring that concept for a very long time, and I just think that now that platforms like or companies like Disney because of the, the depth of their back catalogue, and they're now like, look, we're going to create a competitor for Netflix and we're going to create original content and they hook up to the ABC in the States, that big network as well. They're just like, we can create original content and we can take all of our content off of everything else. Mm. And once they do that, it's over. Like, ne- that's actually Netflix's biggest competition. People thinking, like, you know, what, what thing have I watched on Netflix more than any other thing? Moana and Finding Freaking Dory has been streaming in my house for like a year. I'm telling you, like as soon as those big like kids stuff goes off, like that's a big hole for a lot of these streaming services. Well, yeah, they're going to lose so much of their children's, like the parents who only sign up to Netflix just so they kids, kids stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah, so Netflix have holes to fill in that in that regard, definitely. But yeah, that's where other like smaller streaming services are just going to get crippled because Disney's going to go bye and just take. 
everything. And mm. so that's why Amazon's ramping up their production. That's why Netflix are ramping up their production. And there are other smaller ones like the Hulus and stuff, which are big aggregators. They're going to get chewed up because once Disney says, I'm, I'm taking everything that we own, then there's some big trouble that's going to happen, basically. So that was the small news. Oh, the monopoly is coming. The monopoly. Enjoy it, guys. And, you know, they want us to all live in the world of Fahrenheit 451. Yeah, here we but go. But we just have, like, you know, shells in our ears, and all we do is watch TV all day, every yeah. day. Don't you read. Don't you read. <laughs> Don't you read. It makes you crazy. Um, but speaking of crazy, uh, look. <laughs> I just love that, you know, when we saw the trailer for this film, we were like, oh, things probably weren't as crazy as we thought they were. No. Nah. We were wrong. Nah. It, Look, was, it was completely as crazy as we originally thought. The amazing Michael K. Williams from The Wire, who played Omar. Omar coming. Um, he was originally slated to be cast in this Star Wars uh, solo, a Star Wars story, the singular Star Wars story. Um, solo. But, uno. 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 Uh, that's a way better name for it. I want the Italian poster. Uno. Uno. Um, so, Uno, the Star Wars story. He was meant to be in it, and what we've started to find out that his character was, he was eventually replaced by Paul Bettany, and he was on a podcast this week um, on SiriusXM with uh, Jim and Sam, Jim Norton's a comedian and his uh, co-host Sam, and they basically sort of got some details about the Star Wars solo movie uh, with with him. Um, what we learned was, one, his character was originally a love interest. Mm. So... We had a bit of HBO love interest happening because we had Khaleesi and we had Omar in love, which is just hot on all sorts of levels because Michael K. Williams is a very attractive man. Yep. And then there's just, you know, Han trying to get in between And then them. Alden. With oh. the he, he's not as cute as Michael K. So, no. so older dude, a lot of swagger, a lot of cool. That was the sort of tension that was in the thing. Yeah. The movie ends... Or, the, the the movie that we're going to see has no evidence of him ever being in it, so we can just sort of park that there. But what he actually said, and this is the quote that is, like, really juicy. Mm. I've seen a lot of crazy shit, but what happened with Solo was one for the textbooks. <laughs> oh, my God, that was so... What happened? I... Oh, this... Honestly, this film just keeps... Michael K. Williams, if you're listening to Gaggle of Geeks, or if anyone knows Michael K. Williams, if you're in Australia, I'll buy you a thousand drinks. I'll take you out to, like, the best restaurants we got. Just sit down and just tell me everything. I'll sign an embargo. So will I. Sophie and I will sign embargoes. I want to know. I just... Because every time you think this film would implode and it didn't, you're like, okay, my... And then the trailer (laughs) came and you're like, oh, it might be all right. It imploded. Hard. Something Sound, definitely imploded. Something. Because <laughs> if that's textbook crazy. Oh. <laughs> wow. One for the textbooks. One for the textbooks. Because, I mean, when was he? He was cast during when? He was cast early. He yeah, cast- so when Phil Lord and Chris Miller were still at the helm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He was cast early. He was actually a part of that assembly cast that was really exciting when you're like, oh, God, this movie's going to be great. There's mm. some great people involved. So, yeah. Um... Michael K. Williams, like, look, devastated. Just give that us would, a bit more, a bit would, more juice. Come on. That he would have totally been part of a shitless rant about Solo in the future, but I think one for the textbooks. That line, um, I think we might have to find that line for that interview. And every single time we talk about Solo for the rest of the year, it might have to be inserted. What do you reckon, so If we can find that oh, one for the textbooks, one for the textbooks, man. One for the textbooks. <laughs> if we sense, a, if we sense a shit show is coming up, we're going to play Michael K. Williams on the show saying one for the textbooks, shit show coming. Oh, so 
So crazy. Yeah, very crazy. But look, you know, we've talked a lot about Disney, so let's get the last bit over and done with, which is um, AMC theaters in the States have uh, put out the runtime of Infinity War. It is 156 minutes, which is the longest Marvel movie to date. Still not as long as Michael Mann's 1995 crime opus, Heat. Your fave. My favorite. So if you don't know, Blake also has another podcast. One heat minute. What minute are you up to now? Uh, we published today, minute 46. 46 what? minutes out of 200, 170. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it is, is a, a podcast that does the mad thing of uh, examining Michael Mann's uh, crime opus one minute at a time. And this week, both episodes, the, the episode that published today, an author, Mark Sabe, he's the author of Al Pacino, the movies behind the man, came on to talk about a little snippet of Pacino's performance and heat and his love for it. And then a couple of days before, the amazing Bobby Roberts, who's a producer for the podcast 80s All Over and my favorite Star Wars tweeter on the internet, um, came on the show as well. He off air does the greatest Al Pacino impression that has ever been on the show. <laughs> but we were not recording. He has promised to come back to deliver that as well. But he is on the show as well talking what he calls heat, a symphony of damaged masculinity, which I just think is sublime. I made him say it twice. It was so good. Um, so, yeah, two great episodes this week. More next week. But you only a minute 40 of 170. Hey, 46. 46. 46. Oh, well, you're getting through it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two episodes. I'm really impressed. Two episodes a week, folks. We are rolling. But 156 minutes for Infinity War. Yeah, man, it's going to so long. It's going to be long, but this two is two and a half hours. They got a lot to do, so there's so many goddamn characters. You see how during the week they were talking about like you're seeing all these character posters and character designs and all this. I know. Stuff. I was so excited to see Shuri from Black Panther. Yeah, yeah, she's in there. There's a photo of Shuri, and the internet went, "I'm going home now because my week is made." I just love when they're like, you know, what is the most um, valuable source in Wakanda? Resource in Wakanda. Everyone's like, Shuri. Shuri. Screw the vibranium, it's Shuri. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, look, 156 minutes. They have a lot to do. And they're also saying this week around that runtime that the shadow of death is hanging over some, if not many, Characters, so we might see some wholesale deaths. I vote for Bucky. Die, Bucky, die. Die, Bucky, die. I think it's going to be Cap. Yeah, Chris Evans. Because yeah. he's like every time he. Well, Chris Evans could go. Thor yeah, because his contract just keeps ending, and then he's like, maybe I'll sign up for one more, one more. Yeah, I mean, look. So I think he's probably going to be next. And too. if he could die in the warm embrace of Bucky, then Tumblr would explode. <laughs> Oh, can you imagine? Can you feel the love tonight? Tonight. Tonight. Get out. Fucking hate that scene. Oh, my God. Hashtag spoilers. Please pause the show. Fast forward at 30 seconds. Just a snippet of previous rant. Oh, my God. I hated that Black Panther end scene. So I really hated that scene with Bucky. I hated it. I I hated it. It was so bad. Go back a couple of episodes to listen. Holy shit, it was bad. I know. It was really bad. <laughs> Just ruined that ending, that perfect ending. Look, there's one more bit of news that is actually, it's not bad, it's weird, mm. and it's super interesting, because we talk about one for the textbooks, right, with Michael yeah. K. Williams. Earlier this week, um, Carl Urban, the awesome dread, the awesome, <laughs> what was his name in Thor Ragnarok? What was his name? I can't remember. Scourge. 
a scourge. He was amazing. So he's in some massive series, right? He's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Thor Ragnarok. He was in Red, and he was also in Lord of the Rings. Aomer. He's Aomer from Lord of the Rings. He's Dread. 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 That is what we're talking about. So he loves Dread. So he adores Dread. He adores it. (laughs) Now, a filmmaker we talked about just at the beginning of the podcast, Alex Garland. His new flick, Annihilation, is coming out. If you haven't, if you haven't seen his amazing other flick, Ex Machina, you need to and check out Annihilation. It's going to be on Netflix very shortly. But we heard a really weird thing this week, which is that Alex Garland, who wrote Dread, Mm co-wrote it. He's not the director of that movie. A guy by the name of Peter, or sorry, Pete Travis is the director of that movie. Yep. Now, according to Carl Urban, and I'm going to read the quote exactly, I would love to have the opportunity to play Dread again, but if it doesn't happen, then I'm happy the fact we made a film has become a cult classic and that people discovered over time. A huge part, his words, a huge part of the success of Dread is to the fact, due to the fact that Alex Garland, and what a lot of people don't realize is that Alex Garland actually directed that movie. <gasps> Shock, horror, gasp. Shocking horror, another cover-up. Um, what Travis has been taking credit for someone else's work? No, so Pete Travis, apparently there was some really squirrely crap with the studio that was going on. So Alex Garland was writing the film. Yep. Pete Travis was originally directing the film. And what it, for whatever, you know, things happen, and clearly something like Solo, we've talked... Oh no! <laughs> we've talked about probable ta- <laughs> Oh no! We've talked about it so many times, but like clearly there was a bit of conflict between the studio about his vision and how things were going. Um, Garland's script was clearly strong enough, so they wanted it to execute in a certain way. Garland is a guy who's worked alongside other people like Danny Boyle and things like that. So eventually, he and he was about to make Ex Machina, so they took he took the lens according to Urban and directed that movie. So really, if you look at his amazing run of sort of post-apocalyptic genre movies, if you want to talk about the movies he's directed, apparently he's got a trilogy now, which is Dread, Ex Machina, and Annihilation. So, um, look, it's a good good flick. Um, Got a bit unfairly panned because at the time it got released after The Raid and just basically felt like the really fantastic Gareth Evans Indonesian film, The Raid, but it's Mm -hmm. one of those things that by osmosis, both the films had a similar premise. Yep. Um, But he's a great little flick and, uh, yeah, Alex Garland. It's a fun action romp. Yeah, it's good. It's good, but Alex Garland, amazing. Did he direct it or did he not? Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. <laughs> the Directors the Guild of America are strangling Carl Urban as we speak. <laughs> Cal don't care. It's <laughs> like, <laughs> so I'm going back to, to Middle Earth. Oh, I'm out. He'll be fine. I'm sure Scourge will make a comeback in some way or other. Nah, I really liked him in the Born Supremacy. Oh, man, he was so good in the Born Supremacy. Yeah, he was really good. <laughs> um, By still on the sci-fi... Terminator. Yes. We haven't heard a bit about that for a while, not since, like, what, Termin- Terminator Genesis? Yeah, look, uh, what is awesome. So a couple of things happened between Genesis, which was an absolute garbage fire, um, and which the McGee Terminator Salvation, which is more famous for Christian Bale's, like, rant at a guy in lighting than anything else. Um, and that, that was... And it was an awful movie. <laughs> it was an awful movie. It was really bad. And also then the other... Just barely watchable Terminator 3. Um, so James Cameron actually got the rights back, mm. finally, for the Terminator franchise. And much like he's doing with his Avatar movies, he's sort of like conceived of a new idea that then is going to be taken off and be written into the film. Mm. So Terminator, this now sixth Terminator movie, it, it being directed by Tim Miller, the guy who directed 
Deadpool, um, which is awesome. Ho, 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 ho. All the things. All the things, right? So um, Billy Ray, who actually wrote the, the Hunger Games, is the guy who's actually written the physical script. It's based off of this concept that um, Ca- James Cameron himself, and he's sort of executive producing the thing. Miller will be the guy who's actually going to be directing. Mm. It is a direct sequel to Terminator 2. So they're basically ignoring everything else that has happened in that universe. And McKen- So they're ignoring the reboot that was Genesis as well. Genesis is gone. Wow. Everything's gone. I actually really enjoyed Genesis. <laughs> I hated Genesis. It's terrible. But they're, re- they're, 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 they're pushing all of that out. So when you say just after Terminator 2, does that also mean that fantastic series? Sarah Connor Chronicles? Sarah Connor. Yeah, they're gone. Damn it, that was a great Everything's series. gone. Everything's gone. So angry when it ended on a cliffhanger. And I'm the- like, I hate you for cancelling that. Seriously? <laughs> they just went to the... How dare you? That was my reaction as a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> and right now, I saw it again. <laughs> you heard it. I really She's like She's passionate about this. No, and, and so apparently everything's out. They're just doing a direct sequel. But the mm-hmm. interesting news is that Mackenzie Davis, so you might not know who Mackenzie Davis is just off the top of your head, but she was recently in Blade Runner 2049. Um, she was also in Halt and Catch Fire. She was also in The Martian. Um, she's not been... Well, she's the girl who, like, zooms in on the satellites in The Martian. That was actually a bit of controversy because it was meant to be an Asian character and then they just kind of whitewashed her for no reason. Yeah. Soph's pretty angry. Um, uh, but, <laughs> well, I did that with Annihilation too. <laughs> yeah. Look, there's there's a lot of... Um, she's been a bit player in a lot of movies, but she's actually been cast as the lead in this one. So, um, interesting. As Sarah? No, they're not saying. Because apparently Hamilton was back. Ooh. So, we don't know who she is. Hamilton is working with James Cameron again? I know her ex, right? That's going to be... Nah, it's been a long enough time. She's doing heaps of freaking chin up. She's gonna be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I hope she's just swallowed shit. Give her some human growth hormone or whatever she needs. <laughs> Give her some roids. Get her back in full tip top oh. shape. She's not being tested for anything at the Olympics. And if, <laughs> and guys, look, if you just actually just quickly to touch back on the Oscars, if you did notice the amazing um Oscar winning documentary Icarus mm. on Netflix right now, you can check it out. About how everyone in the Olympics is doping. Everyone. <laughs> Everyone. That's why I didn't watch the Winter Olympics. Because they're all on drugs. Everyone. I just love it how, like, the, the Russian athlete who was like, no, seriously, I'm not doping, was even wearing shirts. I'm not got doping. Got done for doping. Congratulations. <laughs> like, got done for doping two days later. Dummies. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's why I didn't watch it. People are like, oh, you're watching the Winter Olympics. I'm like, no, because they're all doping. No. And I don't care. The other people that got done for doping? Curlers. Yeah. The I curlers know. got done for... I'm like, what? Do you need to be noteful for curling? <laughs> that broom is so fast. The fast switch so brooming. So heavy and so fast and all the friction. Seriously. Must dope. Just talk to my... Just, just, they need to pray to my my now... My, my dearly departed Baltese grandmother to figure out how to broom faster. <laughs> she had a machine on the broom. She didn't none need none. no doping for that. No. My nana would have smashed you all at curling. Forget you doping. Uh, speaking of great women. Ooh. Lady Powers. Lady Powers. Yes, it was International Women's Day this week. It was indeed. Which was why Jessica Jones dropped on that day. Smart. S-M-R-T. Smart. Indeed. Can't wait to binge on that this Yeah, weekend. look, it's the best. I mean, there's some uh, really terrific... Um, there's some, you know, terrific stuff in the Marvel T 
TV series that had been on Netflix, but mm. pretty much the high watermark, Daredevil season one and Jay Jones one. And by all accounts, season two has kept a really consistent quality. So hearing some great things, Sophie and I just haven't had a chance to kill ourselves and watch the entire series to review it for you this minute. But when we come back... Seriously, it dropped like 12 hours ago because <laughs> no. it was it dropped US time, not mm, Australia time. Parent, can't do that. <laughs> parent. Full-time okay. work, cannot do that mm, Parent, can't do it. Also, I was at the Book of Mormon. I'm sorry, guys. Oh, <laughs> so good. I, did you love the Book of Mormon? I did. I just love that on International Women's Day, I went and saw a bunch of white men sing. <laughs> there are some black people singing. They are. There are, too. There are lots of black people they singing. Are. There are. And, but I loved it. But no, and Jessica Jones looks amazing so far. Yes. Can't wait to see it. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. Um, but she's also said, um, the lead, Kristen Ritter, says she doesn't think there's going to be another Defenders. Thank God. Uh, my, my thing would be like, yeah, of course. It was t- terrible. It was terrible. Well, they said yes to another season of Frickin' Iron Fist. They're trying to salvage. that. Honestly, they won't announce another Defenders until they can salvage the car crash of Iron Fist. And I basically think what they're going to try and do is make it like Lethal Weapon. Like, put, like, put... Put uh, as much as possible, um, have uh, Luke Cage get into there and have like a bit of a buddy comedy element and try and sort it out because they don't have any other story to tell. Oh, well, Luke Cage, the trailer for Luke Cage dropped as well, so that's coming out in June. Yeah, lots of stuff happening on those. I mean, Netflix is going to produce the living daylights out of stuff while they've got those mm. Marvel characters. They're just as many as they can. So many more announcements about huge um, comp- comic book companies being absorbed and character bases absorbed into that Netflix you know, whirlwind, so it's amazing. It's going to be interesting. But if still speaking of streaming and wonderful ladies, uh, Handmaiden's Tale, season two. Yeah, I haven't seen Handmaid's Tale. I've been waiting to like find a right streaming service. Where is it now? Is it still on SBS On Demand? Yes. Is it, it really? It never left. It never left. I can't, look. It, it will be available to binge probably right up to the premiere of season two. Well, I'm going to get on that. I've heard you nothing but good things. Better. Gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It, to be fair, it is a very traumatic watch and you do need to take regular breaks watching it. Okay, I can do that. So And and to be fair, I have recorded forty six almost hour long episodes of examining one minute at a time, my favorite movie of all time, so I've been kinda of busy on the site as well. <laughs> but yeah, no, I will check that out. Um but yeah, it will be available uh, in July. July. July on SBS on demand. Again, all ready to binge. Binge away. I don't know who's their media by, but God, you're God. <laughs> yeah, you're good. They're doing some good work over there. Yeah. Good buys. Because, yeah, that and Atlanta. Atlanta. Bing. Yeah, baby. Bing. But a little bit of magic's coming our way. I know. Mary Poppins. Cherry Bobbins, as uh, all fans of The Simpsons will forever call her, is, is coming back. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Emily Blunt as Mary Poppins. The guy in Hamilton. Yeah, the guy from Hamilton, guys. Exactly. Um, This looks like a real, real fun time. It looks silly and fun. Yeah, the teaser came out and it was just so old-timey-wimey that I was just like, I remember just like sitting at home with a really small but enormous TV. (laughs) Small screen, enormous technology (laughs) to put it together. Exactly. Yep. Watching Mary Poppins just with the family. A leading takeout. No, it's um, good. And it inspired me so much that I watched Emily Blunt in Edge of Tomorrow, um, or, or, a.k.a. Live, Die, Repeat, because she's just such a badass. She's like one of my favorite. I, I, someone asked me like a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to ask you so for right now, just off the bat, I reckon Emily Blunt is like one of my favorite working actors at the moment. Mm. Her and maybe only Lupita, I reckon, has got like as good a 
recent resume. I just love like the diversity and what they can do. Yeah. Um, they're my faves. Um, but yeah, she's just so terrific. So terrific. I just love her in Devil Wears Prada. Devil Wears Prada. She's great. She's, she's just so funny. She's great in Looper. Mm. She's just great in pretty much every movie. And then she does like, you know, Sicario. Oh, Sicario. Oh, I just blanked on that. She's great in Sicario. So great. But yeah, so, you know, it's so awesome to think that she's gone from like Edge of Tomorrow, Sicario, <laughs> Mary Poppins. Hello. Hello. So yeah. No, one she'd... for her children. Yeah, exactly. Right. You got to do one for the kids every now and then. Have you introduced uh, your little darling daughter to the wonderful world of Mary Poppins? No, yeah. I haven't, but I think it might be right up her alley because she, she was really stuck on the cartoony thing, but she's starting to dig the songs. Like she like things will keep her attention with some songs. So I think she's nearly ready, but like she hasn't. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. I think she'll be ready. I think she's ready. I'm going to go try that. Is it on Netflix? I don't know where it lives. Mm, we'll find it. We'll find it. You'll I'll buy it. it. I'll buy it. I think it's worth the investment. The juice is worth the Mary Poppins squeeze. <laughs> Better be. <laughs> Better be. But that's Christmas. That's a long wait. Nah, that's all right. You've got plenty of time. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm going to have two children by the time that happens. <laughs> Blake's face like... <gasps> Shit. <laughs> How did this just occur to you now? <laughs> it's like that's what's going to happen for the rest of the year. Whenever this is happening at Christmas time, like a movie release, something like that, I'm going to go... Oh, shit. I'm going to have two children by then. Wow. Mm. Wow. My wife, to be fair, is doing way more of the work than I am right now. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Um, but yeah, so, rad. <laughs> doing good. There's no shit list. There's no week. shit list this week. And there's a, there was only a small rant. And baby rants. This is weird, Blake. I, I don't like not ending on a rant. I don't know if I've got one in me, Soph. Not many things have made me super angry this week. Dig deep. Dig deep. Dig deep. Um, <laughs> I don't even I, rant that I, much. I, I'm just like making Blake a rant because it, it brings me much enjoyment to see his face go red no, because no, he just explodes at the no, microphone. I, look, I don't have a rant, but I have something funny. Let's end on something fun. All right. Um, so usually in the last couple of years, I've done some Oscar punditry live on ABC News 24. Yes. I actually went down to have a squiz to see if you were about and I didn't see you. No, I wasn't around this year because... Um, and I, and I, like my sister actually called me the day and she goes, Oh, are you doing the your cross? annual cross? Annual <laughs> cross, right? And I said, No, I'm not today. Um, I'd heard even better news than doing an Oscars cross is that we're having a little boy. Oh! Yeah, so that was really cool. Um, the funny thing was that my sister's like, I said, No, they didn't give me a call. You know, must have had, must have filled it with another entertainment journal. More qualified than myself, I texted her like, "Must have." Don't th-. and she's like, "I'm going to watch and find out who replaced you." <laughs> <laughs> and I love who they replaced you with. And 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 she's like, and she just texted me later. I was expecting like a full day. She just texted me and went, "Oh, they just crossed live to someone who was in LA." <laughs> and I went, "Yeah, that that wins." Yeah, like Ultimo in studio with me. Or yeah. the red carpet at the actual Oscars. And I'm like... You can't really compete with that, no. can you? No, I guess not. So, you know, if I'm if I'm over if I'm ever over there mm. hosting. Yeah. You know, then of course they should cross to me. <laughs> <laughs> but until then 
It's all right. Some no. of the old gaggle managed to have a live cross. Maria Lewis did oh, on, the, on the feed. Uh, Maria had it on the feed. No, she was great <laughs> on the feed. Uh, and look, more power to Maz. Um, and I think she was really happy because they blow-dried her hair. I know. God, it looks so good. Yeah, it's so green. So, so rad. So no, but I was, you know, I'm of course happy that she was there. But usually ABC News 24, I'm at the desk. But that's okay because I was really super happy with those Oscars. I wasn't going to drink or anything. If it was three billboards, I was going in drunk. I told so for the end of our show. Yeah, and I was expecting it because I was like, you know, I'm waiting for Blake to come and swagger. Oh. Nope. nope. Just Nothing. a live cross. Just a live cross. And... I think they might have listened to this show. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Professionalism Look, right I'm, there. I'm sorry. There's no rant. We're ending without a rant. I don't have one for you. But we do have a big week next week as we talk Jessica Jones and Annihilation. Jessica Jones, Annihilation, massive week. And also there's like a, a little thing that's close to my heart, the 20th anniversary of the Big Lebowski. Oh, are you going to go full dude on me? I'm not going to go full dude on you, but what I am going to do <laughs> is um, I'm going to record a special podcast, I think, um, uh, with my friend Dave Grenfell, who's an absolute legend. And I'll, I'll, I might, uh, I'll get so to post a link with it um, because he's seen... The Big Lebowski, I think maybe 200 times. And in one month, he watched it every single day as many times as he could watch it. Why? Because his argument is it's one of the greatest movies of all time. And he's kind of like the dude. He kind of looks like the dude. (laughs) Did he just become the dude? Like, I think he became the dude at the time. Like, he owned this, like, (laughs) independent movie um, video store in in Melbourne that shut down a couple of years ago called Now Showing. Um, He was like... He looked like the dude, and like have white Russians with him in there watching the Big Lebowski, and he's like, he's a he's like a phenom. He's like me with heat, but with with the Big Lebowski. So I, I might have to just do like a special bonus episode because he's just like my one of my favorite people in the world, um, a dear friend, and he's a, he's just a nutcase of the Big Lebowski. He's seen it hundreds of times. He's obsessive it. about it. In, you gotta do it for all the film geeks out there. For all the film geeks out there. So yeah, we're we're doing it. We're doing it. So that's that's the only fun thing that I'll say for next week. But yeah, look, plenty of rant opportunities. Mm. But till then, I'm Sophie Lye. I'm Blake Howard. We'll catch you next week for more gaggling of geeks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And recommend to your 5,000 nearest friends and family. Yeah, just share it. Just, you know, simple clicky. Thanks very much. Any of you guys out there got 5,000 million followers on something? Hi. Hi, guys. Hi. Bye. Bye. (laughs) And none of you break your retainers thirsting over this podcast, please. (laughs) We don't have the money to pay for it.